Turning your Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We live in a very, very strange time in our world. A very, very mixed up world in so many ways. In fact, I was listening recently to a contemporary Christian singing artist who's been around, oh, probably for 20 or 25 years, Randy Stonehill, and he's written a number of wonderful songs for the church, and he, as I, have been very, very concerned about the state of our world and just the craziness of it all, the illogic of the world. In fact, I just uh, listened to a song that he wrote recently called, It's a Great Big Stupid World. And I'm not sure that we would all characterize our world in those terms, but he's probably not too far off, frankly. In fact, someone just gave me something recently that, that really gave me impetus to think along these lines. It's uh, titled, Life as an, as an American. It says, a citizen of America will cross the ocean to fight for democracy, but won't cross the street to vote in a national election. We yell for the government to balance the budget, but then take the last dime we have to make a down payment on a car that will take us five years to pay off. And we demand speed laws that will stop fast driving, then won't buy a car if it can't go over 100 miles an hour. We know the lineup of every baseball team in the American and National League, but mumble through half the words in the Star Spangled Banner. We'll spend half a day looking for vitamin pills to make us live longer then drive 90 miles an hour on slick pavement to make up for lost time. We tie up our dog while letting our 16-year-old son run wild. We whip an enemy in battle and give him the shirt off our back. We will work hard on the farm so we can move into town where we can make more money so that we can move back out on the farm. We run from morning to night trying to keep our earning power up with our yearning power. In the office, we talk about baseball, shopping, or fishing, but when we are out at the game, the mall, or on the lake, we talk about business. We're supposed to be the most civilized Christian nation on earth, but we still can't deliver payrolls without an armored car. We have more experts on marriage than any other country in the world and still have more divorces. We're the country that has more food to eat than any other country in the world and more diets to keep us from eating it. It is a crazy, mixed-up world. There are many conundrums in our life, and American society is just one big one. In fact, this week, Beth was reading the paper to me, and she said, listen to this. AP, Associated Press, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. A man convicted of kidnapping a baby who was cut out of a 17-year-old girl's womb was sentenced Wednesday to 20 years in prison. Jurors last month convicted Frederick Pullian, 39, of abducting the infant who was taken from the body of Tercia Curry after she was shot in the head. The maximum punishment was life in prison. However, he was acquitted of capital murder, avoiding a possible death penalty. Curry was nine months pregnant when she was last seen on January 31, 1996. Prosecutors claimed that Pullian and girlfriend Felicia Scott killed Miss Curry and performed a crude cesarean section while her heart was still beating. 
Scott was unable to bear children and wanted a baby, prosecutors said. Scott is awaiting trial on capital murder charges. The girl, now almost two, the baby, lives with her father. We live in a crazy, crazy world. And because that is the case, we need a word from God. We need God to tell us the right way. We need instruction. We need encouragement. We need a direction in life that is different and utterly opposite of this crazy, crazy, mixed-up world. And that precisely, my friends, is exactly what Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3. He says these words, Let the peace of Christ, Colossians 3.15, rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, let all be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Did you realize that the three phrases in these verses could revolutionize our world? Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. We allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts hostility being mended, relationships being reconciled. There would not be a couple who simply wants to have a baby and would bring these means upon another person in our world. It wouldn't happen. They would be allowing the peace of Christ to rule in their hearts. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. If the word of Christ was dwelling richly, not just in the church, but in our world, what kind of world would we see? It would be so opposite of the world in which we live. And if we allowed anything in our lives, whether in word or deed, to be done all in the name of the Lord Jesus, oh, what kind of world we would have. It would be a world of love. It would be a world of ministry. It would be a world of service. It wouldn't be a great, big, stupid world. It would be a a world in which the peace of Christ and the word of Christ and the name of Christ would be honored. It would be a world in which people would look at each other so far differently. They wouldn't look at people for what they can get. They would look at people for how they can give. Oh, if our world would take the message of Colossians 3 and live it out in their lives. You say, you would be accurate in saying, but Lance, that's the world. The world is never going to respond that way, and you're right. That's why Paul doesn't address the world here, he addresses the church. And he says, in contrast to your world, allow the peace of Christ to rule in your heart, the church. Allow the word of Christ to so richly dwell within you as a local body of believers, and allow yourselves in word or deed to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to Him. If you are to live that way, the church would stand out to such a degree that the world ultimately, by God's sovereign design, would take notice. God would take that world and He would pluck out of it, as Tim said 
in the announcement time, would pluck out of it those to whom God had had intended from eternity past to live righteously in Christ, and we would be the benefactor, and we would also be the mechanism that God uses to bring that to pass. What an opportunity. What an opportunity we have to live in such a way within our own fellowship, to be so equipped that we would then be able to branch out after the fellowship is over into a watching world, a dying world, a dark world, with the truth of Christ, the peace of Christ, the word of Christ, and the name of Christ. Last Lord's Day, I discussed with you what it means here when Paul describes the peace of Christ. And I mentioned to you, didn't I, that the peace of Christ, as often understood in Christian churches, is really out of whack. It's really something that people often see as a, a mystical attachment to decision-making. And that after I make a particular decision or I'm in the throes of making such a decision, I need the peace of God, we hear people say. And they sort of unwittingly, I'm sure, take that out of this context. But every time the peace of Christ or the peace of God is mentioned, it's really talking about the reconciling of a relationship. It's the reconciling of our vertical relationship with God. We have peace with God now that we've been justified by faith, or we can have, because of that justification, a peace with our fellow believers. So Paul tells the Colossians, and I'm telling you, that there is every opportunity for us to allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts collectively together. And when we do so, we have the opportunity that no other entity on earth has and that is to live out the reality of what it means to be at peace with Him. When you live at peace with God, and when you live at peace with others, what a testimony you have. When others look at you and they say, with all of the things that might be happening to you in your life, how can you deal with those things? Or with all of the opportunities that you can have to, to grab what you want in life and to step on other people to get what you want, why don't you take those opportunities? And you say, because I'm commanded to have peace within the fellowship. Because I'm commanded to be at peace with God, and I am at peace with God. Are you at peace with God? Well, there's a rich, rich witness and testimony in those words. And they don't just stop there with the peace of Christ. Paul goes on to say in verse 16, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And I know why Paul says that. He follows that phrase, the peace of Christ, immediately with the word of Christ, because someone is going to come along and say, but how do I attain peace with others? How do I attain unity in the fellowship when it's my belief that someone is this way and I'm this way and we do have conflict with each other? Who's going to be the arbiter between us? Where's the standard? Who's right and who's wrong? How can we come together if we don't have some sort of mutual standard for which we can both apply ourselves? And Paul says, I'll tell you what that standard is. It is the Word of Christ. It is the Word of God. The Word of Christ is really just a synonymous way of saying God's Word, God's Book, Holy Scripture, the Word of Truth, the Gospel. It's all really the same thing. It's talking about our opportunity to allow the Word of Christ, the Word of God, the truth of Scripture, to so pervade our fellowship that whenever there is any angst, any conflict, any dispute, 
we can immediately look to this book and say, this book will show us the answer. This book will regulate our relationship with each other. You and I have invariably been involved in some sort of dispute, some sort of non-reconciliatory situation, and what we need is the Word of Christ to so richly dwell within us that we're able to settle any and all disputes between us as believers. That's really what Paul is saying here. He's saying that the Word of Christ should so dwell in you that there really is peace, there is unity, there is an opportunity for us to be a living organism, a dynamic force, a community of people that we are moving forward together in our world. So that our world is not one stupid world, some illogical world, some world that makes no sense, some mystical world that we come with the rock-solid bedrock of truth. And we live the truth and we seek the truth in life. Boy, that's excited to me. Exciting to me to know that God has given me an opportunity to seek the truth. And He's given you an opportunity to know the truth. So that in that dark world, when someone comes and says, I need direction, I need some help, you can say, I know where that help comes from. That help comes from the Word of God. Would you like for me to share with you what God's perspective is on this or that issue? I had someone come up to me recently and talk about the events of our government in these last days. And someone else came up to me and asked me my perspective on the State of the Union address. And my response was, only one thing that was really, really missing in my judgment, there was really no discussion of the state of the heart. Now that's not the forum for which that will ever occur, we know that. But what we do know is also true, since we know that to be true, we ought to be proclaiming the state of the heart. And if we proclaim the state of the heart, then it will have its way and its work in our society. We have the opportunity, friends, to allow the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly, collectively as a congregation. And you know it starts with us at our salvation. In Romans 10, 17, it says this, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? A word about Christ. A speech about Christ. So faith comes, salvation comes to us initially because of the word of Christ. And in our sanctification, in our Christian lives, the only thing that will help us, the only thing that will cause us to grow is the word of Christ. You remember in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was going through that terrible time of temptation, and after he said it, after it was said that he was thirsting and hungering after those 40 days, and Satan came up to him and said, in essence, if you're really hungry, if you're really thirsty, command these stones to become bread. What was Jesus' response? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Do you know what Jesus was saying by that? He was saying, yes, I'm tired. Yes, I'm hungry. Yes, that's important to me. But what is far more important to me is the opportunity to have every word of the living God in my heart so that I can withstand any and all temptation. More than my physical nourishment, I want spiritual food for my soul. Can you say that this morning? Can you say that that is the desire of your heart? 
Can you say like Jeremiah does in Jeremiah 15, 16, Thy words were found, and I ate them. And thy words became for me the joy and the delight of my heart. Can you say like Job in Job 23, That I have taken your, your, your very words as more than my necessary food. Can you say like Jesus himself, Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God before I had you read Psalm 119 this morning. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. In essence, by allowing the word of Christ to richly dwell within me. That's how you stay away from sin. I have, I have hidden God's word in my heart so that I might not sin against thee. I want to stop your sinning. Hide God's word in your heart. Be able at, the, at a moment's notice when Satan comes with his tempting power, when the world gives you its allurement, say, no, I will not respond to that because God's word says only destruction awaits that decision. I will hide God's word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Remember 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, as long as, as newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. You know, I've had seven opportunities to see newborn babes long for the pure milk. In fact, our little one, Lexa, who's now about four months old, she is right in that stage where she doesn't care about the color of the carpet. She's not concerned about the clothes even that she has on. She cares for nothing else except mommy's milk. That's it. That's all she cares about. All we have to do to care for her right now in a little life is to give her milk and then we deal with the consequences. She longs for mommy's milk. There are even times where she'll be crying and fussy and I'll say to Beth, she needs your ministry, dear. She needs you. And she'll say, no, I think she's okay. I just nursed her a moment ago, and I think everything is well. And I say, I, I don't think it's well. I think she's longing for the milk, and I want you to minister to her. And when I think of that, and when I think of what the Lord has given me as an analogy for over ten years of my life now, I know that that is a wonderful example of what on the human level God is saying to us on the dynamic spiritual level. As those who long for the pure milk of the Word, the pure milk of the Word, long for it, grabbing for it. It's like your last breath and you have to have it. It's the Word of the living God. You long for that Word? You desire to have the Word of Christ dwelling in you richly, in abundance. Or do you go days, perhaps even weeks, without your own diligent reading of Scripture? And I'm not even really saying studying. I'm only saying the, the reading of Scripture. There's a beautiful thing just to the reading of Scripture. Do you read God's Word? Do you love God's Word? Do you allow God's Word to, to dwell in your life richly? There's something else to notice here from Colossians 3. It says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. 
you know, there's really two ways for the word of Christ to richly dwell within you. One, it says, that it is to dwell within you, and it's not talking about the individual here, is it? It's really talking about the church, the congregation, and it really could even be construed as the worship and our fellowship together as a corporate body. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, church, that's who Paul's writing to, and here's how you do it, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. That is our admonishing ministry. Every one of you has the responsibility to teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. The wisdom of God's word. It is not enough, beloved, it is not enough for you simply to come on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening or both and listen to the word of God being preached. That is important. And I would like for it to be very, very important in your mind, but it is not the sole importance of the believer. You combine that with your opportunity and responsibility to study God's Word on your own, and then the Word of Christ is really going to begin to dwell in the congregation with you. That's our opportunity. That's our privilege. That is our very joy and delight. You know that if I preach Sunday morning, day in, day out, the opportunity for you to learn and grow, you'd learn and grow to some degree. But you need to take what I say to you. You need to take what your Bible study and your fellowship times and your Sunday school classes, you need to take all of that and you need to take that back into your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you need to verify and validate all of those things. You need to ask yourself, is this true? Is this true of my own life? Am I growing in my relationship with Christ? Am I being challenged to take the Word of Christ and put it in my heart myself? And then, when I put it in my own heart, am I taking the opportunity when I see a need to put it into the hearts of other people? Do you go to other brothers and sisters within the fellowship and say, Hey, I'm concerned about you. I see what appears to me to be a pattern in your life in this way or that. And I want to take the word of Christ and I want you and I to study together so that we might learn how to grow in these areas. Or do you go to someone else and you say, Brother or sister, I'm concerned about this or that aspect of my life and I need you. I need you to come alongside me and tell me where I'm deficient. I, I seem to be very immature in this area and I need your help, your accountability, and I know that only comes from a diligent pursuit of the Word of God together. You see, that's what it means to allow the Word of Christ to richly dwell within us. It's not just coming and sitting and taking it all in. It's, it's also giving it out. It's also the opportunity for you to memorize and to meditate and to study and defend and proclaim the Word of God. You see, we are to be equipped so that we might reach out to that world. But how can we be equipped if the only thing we do is avail ourselves of the, the preaching of the Word of God? We must study it ourselves. We must know it. You say, well, I don't know how to study. Find someone who can help you. And there'll be someone else who knows less than you do. Find them. Disciple them, pray for them, teach them, teach them what you know. Did you know how selfish it would be, how incredibly selfish it would be for someone to say, my only responsibility is to come and listen and hear the Word of God, but, but I don't see it as my responsibility to take that same Word and admonish and teach others with all wisdom. That means that you're just taking it all in, but you're not giving it out. You have an opportunity, you have an obligation to encourage one another. And Paul doesn't even stop there. He doesn't even stop at that sort of theory level. He goes on and says, and here's how you can practically do it. You can even do it when you sing with one another. 
the songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. Oh, beloved, this is, this is rich. This is wonderful. We are so in tune with the Word of God, Paul says, that we cannot do anything but teach others with all wisdom and then take it upon our lips and our hearts and sing the truth of God. You ever found yourself doing that? You're just sort of alone. You're in your car. You're doing something. And all of a sudden, all of the hymns of the faith just sort of come to your mind and you begin to, to sort of pick and choose and you pick one and then you, you say to yourself, I want to sing to the Lord. I want to sing to the Lord. Or, or, or you don't even go through practices like that. You just start singing. You know, that's, a, that's a heart full of gratitude. That's a heart full of thanking. And you know, that's also an opportunity for us to be admonished. You say, how so? Well, if you come into the worship service, and you're ministering, and you're praying, and you're allowing the Word of God to touch your life, and then you begin to sing, and you begin to sing the great psalms of the faith, that is, the Psalter, the 150 psalms that have been inscripturated for us, and then you look at the choruses and the hymns of the church, and you begin to sing those things, if you're like me, you'll do things like this. And you sing, Great is thy faithfulness. You sing those words, and when they come to your mind, you say this, Lord, how often have I not thanked you for your great faithfulness? How often am I deficient in my mind when I think of your amazing grace that saves a wretch like me? That's, that's, the, that's the reason why we sing, because it also admonishes us. It brings us up short in terms of where we are not in our spiritual lives, and the songs give expression that maybe sometimes words could never do. Well, this is, this is why we sing. This is not just a tradition that somebody started when they started this thing called the church. This is biblical. First Corinthians 14, Paul says, When you come, each one will bring a psalm. Isn't that interesting? You bring a psalm. That may even mean that someone was prepared, or maybe everyone was prepared on a particular Sunday morning to bring a psalm. And that's why we have soloists in the church, because they give expression in music to our praise and worship that really lifts our hearts to further things. Boy, this is, this is practical. This is great. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You say, what are spiritual songs? Songs that are spiritual. That's really all that it is. Songs that are spiritual. Songs within the spiritual realm. Songs which are consistent with the teaching of the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. Hymns. Those are really just tentacles. You look in Luke chapter 1 or Luke chapter 2 or Mary's Magnificent. All of those are really just hymns of the church. You look in First Timothy and it gives a confession about the person of Christ. That's really a hymn of the church. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1 and 2, there are speeches about Christ that Paul gives that many believe were actually beginning hymns of the church. And so what do we do? We come and we bring a psalm. A psalm is really just a, an opportunity to sing words with music. And a hymn is it's a canticle of the faith. And a spiritual song, a song that is consistent with the Holy Spirit. And you say, let me ask you a practical question. Does that mean then if I'm only to sing in the church or outside the church with songs that are spiritual, that uh, classical music, uh, instrumentals, uh, jazz, or other songs are out of bounds for the Christian? Well, I'm not prepared to say that, but what I am prepared to say that uh, is that song a spiritual song? Is that song a song that speaks of your relationship to Christ? Is it a song that speaks of your salvation? Is it a song that speaks about the coming return of Christ? If it isn't, 
we're in no man's land. Because the only thing the Bible says is that when we come together to sing, and what could be the preparation of every heart even before they come to sing, the songs and hymns and spiritual songs. I'm not saying that legalistically we, we should sing or be involved in no songs that are songs outside the faith. I am saying this though, our life is a vapor. Jim says our life comes and goes just like that. It's like the wink of an eye in comparison to eternity. And should we not prepare right now for the songs that we'll be singing in eternity? I think so. I think we should really only sing the songs, in my opinion, that speak of that which we will be doing perfectly in heaven for us. We ought to be singing the songs that build up our faith. We ought to be singing the songs that build up the, the church. We ought to be singing the songs that extol the person of Christ. Anything outside of that, we're in no man's hand. It may not be wrong for everyone to do it at every time. I just don't know that I have time to do any of that. The time is fast slipping away. We ought to be learning the songs that we'll be living and learning forever. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing and singing. F.F. says, Let there be ample scope for the proclamation of the Christian message and the impartation of Christian teaching in their meetings. Christian teaching must be based on the teaching of Jesus himself. It must be unmistakably the word of Christ. And it must be songs that are unmistakably the word of And then in verse 17, he gives us that third phrase, Whatever you do in word or deed, let all be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him to God the Father. In so many ways, this is really parallel to 1 Corinthians 10.31, isn't it? It says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do what? Do all to the glory of God. This is really a, a text phrase of Paul's. I mean, in essence, he's saying this. I told you in verse 10 that your thinking, your renewal, could happen first in your mind. I told you that your relationships will change if you're the new man in Christ. I told you in verses 13 and following that your virtues like kindness and compassion and humility and gentleness and patience, all of those things will change. I've also told you that the peace of Christ will rule in your fellowship if you're, in your fellowship as you're reconciled with one another. And I'm telling you that the word of Christ should so, should so richly dwell within you that you are admonishing and teaching with all wisdom and all your songs and hymns and spiritual songs will be thankful in your hearts to God. And if I've left anything out, whether it's word or deed, you all in the name of Christ. That just wraps it up. That just sums it all up. If there's anything that's left out, Paul says, you ought to do it in the name of Christ. So how does that practically work out? Well, ask yourself this question. If I don't know that it is explicitly prohibited in God's Word, and if I know for certain that I am commanded to do it, I'm obligated to do it. But if I don't know either of those things, if I don't know it's specifically prohibited, or if it's specifically commanded, what should I do? And there are certain numbers of things in our lives that we will have to make that decision on. The answer, of course, is this. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would be as consistently applicable to the life and the walking and ministry of Jesus while he was on the earth? How would I do this if Jesus were here with me? Would I want him to, to be hearing what I'm thinking? Would I want him to see what I'm doing at this very moment? Is this consistent with his will and his purposes and his plan? Is this consistent with his character? Would Jesus himself have done these things if he were here? 
That's really what it means when it says to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's not just invoking his name as though we say at the end of our prayers in Jesus' name. What we mean by that is we believe this prayer is consistent with the character of Christ. We believe that this is consistent with the will of Christ. And that's all that you're saying with regard to verse 17. You're saying whether in word or deed, which means that's everything, because there's nothing else apart from word and deed, that if in those things I am unsure, I must ask myself this question. Is it consistent with the character of Jesus Christ? Is this consistent with his name? In fact, I think it's a lot like 1 John 2.6. This ought to be a memory verse for all of us. 1 John 2.6. It says, The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as Jesus walked. That is great. That that really helps me in my Christian life. I ask myself this question. Is it one of those gray areas? Yes. Then ask myself the second question. Would it be walking in the same manner as Christ walked? That's very helpful. Very helpful. You're faced with a choice that has no clear biblical guidelines. What do you do? What do I believe Jesus would do? Well, even if you can't know exactly, precisely, ask someone else. Ask someone else who's walked with Christ for many, many years. Go to others in the spiritual leadership of the church and say, what do you think I ought to do in this? What do you think Jesus himself would do? What would be consistent with his will and his purposes and his plans? Believe me, if you were to assess decision-making in that way, you'd be far closer to the answer than so many other methods. Let the peace of Christ, let the word of Christ, and let the name of Christ be all that is about you as a new man in Christ. As we close this morning, I want you to bow your heads and I want you to answer a series of questions about your life. Question number one. Do you allow the peace of Christ to be the final arbiter between you and your fellow members of the body of Christ? In other words, do you have unreconciled relationships with others? And if so, are you willing to submit yourself to the arbitration of Christ and His Word? When you go to someone who you know has a problem with you, or you go to someone who you know you have a problem with, you go to them with the opportunity to see the Word of Christ dwell in both of you with you. Seeking reconciliation, seeking not compromise, but a confrontation of the truth and love which brings about peace. Question number two, do you allow the word of Christ to indwell you with them? So that you might be informed by Christ. You might teach and admonish and sing with others the wisdom of Christ. The words that proceed from the mouth of Christ. Why would all times be intense for Thirdly, do you allow the name of Christ to control your words and actions? That name of Christ which is consistent with all of its character. 
Are you walking in a manner worthy of the way that Christ himself walked? Our Father, this morning, these are the, the real questions of life. We don't really have any questions other than these. These are questions which, if applied, answered and applied, would challenge each one of us to live in such a way that that dark and dreary world would look at us. I'm so thankful that in our first hour, we had those who were joining in membership with our church because they're saying, I want to be a witness for Christ. I'm so thankful that Karen Clark, who gave her testimony in the waters of baptism in this hour, is saying by that testimony and baptism that I want to live for Christ and be held accountable for the words of Christ. Our Father, we have nothing but what you've given us. We have no word, no map, no guidelines except the word of Christ. Thank you that the challenge is to allow it to richly dwell within each of us as individuals and then when we come to the fellowship corporately that it would pervade our fellowship. We would not have sin in our camp because people are so committed to allowing the word of Christ to dwell in them richly. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the challenge to my own heart see the peace, the word, and the name of Christ so prominently displayed in my life. Make it so, Lord. Make it so in the midst of this congregation as we pray for the sake of Christ. Amen. This morning as we close our service, we have the opportunity to welcome some folks into our fellowship as we did in the first hour. And because we have two morning services that are duplicate. Unfortunately, not all of the things that we're able to do are duplicated in every service, and so there are three new couples uh, that you don't really know anything about that were introduced in the first hour. And one of the ways that we mitigate against that is to put their pictures and a little bit of, of dialogue about them on the bulletin board, which is right next to the pastoral offices. So please regularly go by there and see those folks, because if not, you might not know who is new among us. Brad and Karen Clark, Karen gave her testimony a moment ago. You've not met Brad. They joined this morning in the first hour. Byron and Michelle Earls, who is the brother of Shannon Earls, Shannon and Shannon, who are in our fellowship, they joined as well. And George and Nancy Ship, some of you might know them. They're back now to the Bible Church of Little Rock. They've joined this morning, so I mentioned them. This morning in our second service, we have the opportunity to welcome two more folks, two singles in our church. I want James King to come up. I think he even has his little daughter here with us this morning. James actually lives in Sheridan and drives up each and every Sunday to be a part of our fellowship. He's an administrative assistant with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. His daughter, Andrea, is in the second grade. James enjoys sports, golf, reading, and is presently already plugged into the ministry of Awana. James, thank you for doing that. And then uh, a gal by the name of Penny Quinn. She lives in Little Rock. Come up here, Penny. She does have the same last name as your pastor. She's a customer service representative with the All Electric Company, works with Phil Gamash, who heads that company up. Penny enjoys reading and is looking forward to being involved in a care group. Uh, the, the sheet here says she has a handsome brother. 
and is the aunt to seven precious nieces and nephews. I didn't write that, but I certainly would affirm that wholeheartedly. <laughs> you guys look to me, and I want to read a covenant of affirmation, and then we'll have the congregation do so as well. Penny and James, will you solemnly and joyfully covenant with God to promise by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk in Christian love and in the paths of righteousness? Will you promise to exercise a mutual care to promote the growth of the whole body in Christian knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to contribute as a faithful steward such time, talent, and money in the measure that Christ prospers you, that the responsibility of the local church and the worldwide ministry of spreading the gospel be faithfully discharged? Will you also promise to teach the Bible to your children if you have them, to seek the salvation of your family and acquaintances, and to walk circumspectly in the world to the end that you may win souls for the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you further engage to give and receive admonition with meekness and affection, to remember each other in prayer, and to aid each other in case of sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy and courtesy? Wonderful. I want to ask you as a congregation to stand now, that being a part of your affirmation to these two. I'd like to have any of the elders in our fellowship to come down now and to greet these two. And as they do, let me ask you as a congregation, will you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, seek to carry out your God-given responsibilities to these who are joining our church, exercising mutual care, stimulating growth in grace, holiness, and knowledge? I will. Thank you so much. And as the elders greet them, the end of our service, we want you to greet them as well. It's around 12 noon at this point, and I know that's going to give you some time and opportunity to, to welcome these new folks into our church. As we do, I just want to remind you as well that after every service, rather than having what might normally be called an altar call or an opportunity to respond, at the end of our service, there's a prayer room just diagonally off to my left outside that door. It's our prayer room. It has prayer, seek, and knock on it. Our elders will be there willing to greet and meet any of you. Some of you might want to join our church fellowship. Some of you might want a prayer request to be given to our church, and we certainly want to do that. Some of you might want to respond to the message today. You've said to yourself in a very honest reflection, I don't allow the Word of Christ to dwell in me richly. I don't have a relationship with Christ. I want that. I know just a couple of weeks ago, even after a baptism, in fact, after Tom Savory's baptism, someone immediately, even before the, the sermon was preached, went to the prayer room and said, I need help. And that's an opportunity for all of you to respond if you need to. And that prayer room is available and that call is a welcomed call for each and every one of you. Let's bow our heads for a closing prayer. Father, we are so very grateful that you have sovereignly bestowed your love and grace upon us. Thank you for James and for Penny. I pray for them that you would protect them from the evil one, that you would give them more of your grace, more of your sustaining power so that they might withstand all of the temptations of the world. Thank you for James and his commitment to come from Sheridan to Little Rock. May he use that time in the car as an opportunity to prepare his heart for the worship that he is about to receive. May he use this time also to spend time with his little daughter, Andrea, to continue to talk with her about the Lord. May Penny, as she works and has fellowship with me and others within our congregation, 
be continually challenged to make our life count for Christ. May each of us as a living organism we call the church come alongside them in any way we can. Thank you for those who already have done so. I think of Nancy Arnold who's come alongside my sister Penny and ministered to her in so many ways. She and her husband Tom have been so wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for others who have come alongside that I'm not even aware of. Lord, we, we ask that you would make this a loving congregation, reaching out to those who are new among us. Lord, I also pray that if anyone needs to go to that prayer room to make things right with you or with others, that you would direct them there now as we close our service. We ask that you bring us back tonight for a full report on our present state as a church, all of our pastoral staff additions that we'd like to make, all of the things that are happening within our fellowship that we need to communicate. Lord, give us the words to use that will communicate effectively. And this afternoon, mold us and shape us as a result of what we've been convicted by, what we've been challenged to think through, so that when this day is done, our lives really will be different. We'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.